0: So, welcome to the Interim Whisper. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. My guest today is Chris Harden, and I am Isabella Johnston. Chris is an engineer, he was an engineer manager with the artificial intelligence team with Unity Technologies, and he is now the head of project management for North American services. I've known Chris from the startup community um, in Orlando, Florida. And for us in this world, he is a bit of a legend because he appeared on Shark Tank and not everybody in our startup world did. And that I remember when he came in and he talked to us about that. What landed him there was a role as a co-founder of Trobo. It is a storytelling robot, and it was a connected plush toy that read stories about science and math to children ages 2 to 5. It was so cute. He's going to tell us more about it, and using iPhones and iPads. And in reality, they're, I think, books, really, when we read to children, they're also for adults. So you actually get to teach the adults as well as the kids um, writing is in his blood. He's published a book to benefit agile teams that struggle to make deadlines. The book is entitled Mastering Commitment for Software Development Teams to Solve Your Problems. We're going to have a link for you in the show description. And he has another book that recently dropped right at the end of 2023. So you can buy it now and you'll be ready for the 2024 Christmas. It is called Stanley and the Candy Cane Wormhole, and it's for tiny humans. Available on order at Amazon, and we will have the link in the show description. So that was a really long description of you, but there's so much that you've done. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, Our show is always about learning technology and the future of industries. So welcome, Chris. I'm glad.
1: Thank you, Isabel. I'm excited to be here. Oh,
0: so am I. So that you're here. Um, Tell us about yourself using six words and why those six.
1: Okay, so uh, first, I'm a dad. so I have two kiddos. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, My son is Asher, and he is 11, and now 12. Mm -hmm. And uh, my daughter is Finley, and she's seven. Uh, So I love being a dad. It's been driving me my whole life, and uh, it's one of the best jobs and the hardest jobs, as they say, that that you can have. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second is I'm a husband, so I'm married to a psychiatrist. Her name is Laurie, and uh, she has a practice downtown. She's an entrepreneur. And um, I love being a husband as well, and the partnership that we have as a family. And so far, been going great and very grateful for that. Um, And I guess actually grateful is my third word. Uh, You know, I got lucky. Um, God gave me health, and my family's healthy, and I got to live in the U.S., which is the land of opportunity. It sounds a little corny, but we can pretty much put our minds to whatever we need to here. And for the most part, as long as we're healthy, we can do okay. And and, uh, I try to stay grateful and mindful of that every day. And um, yeah, so great, gratitude is a big deal for my family. Uh, Career-wise, yeah, I'm an engineer. I still consider myself an engineer, even though you don't really pay me to code anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I do code a little bit on the side and do some scripting and that kind of stuff to say technical. And I, I have an engineering career that's been about 25 years long now. I'm also artistic, so I've spent years uh, doing comic books. I used to illustrate independent comic books, and I was an inker or at least an assistant inker for those who know what comic books, the process for Marvel and DC and um, Dark Horse, all the major publishers, which was fun. Um, I also have a you know, background in illustration. I was in industrial design for a while. So a lot of, a lot of art artistic skills there that I have used in my engineering career to sort of make myself different and not, not just as a standard engineer. And then my last word is creator. Um, I, I tend to always want to spend what time I have left on the planet creating something. Uh, I tend to think of people as consumers and creators and, you know, in different domains, you are a different role player. So I love film and I can, I can get mesmerized by most films. I also really love to watch a football game. So there I'm a consumer, (laughs) but I spend the majority of my free time creating in some way. I have a hard time sitting and just watching TV or being casual. I'm always trying to do something to create And push whatever agenda i have forward and i try to teach my kids about being creators as well Mm -hmm. and uh, my wife and i talked a lot about the difference between being artistic and creative and being a creator and um, you know we as engineers you can create and never draw anything so i like to have the mindset of i'm always creating and using the time i have here and and i try to teach my kids the same thing as opposed to always just consuming so how can you do something different from the planet and use your time here to create and that, so that's, that's kind of a big word for me, but that's, that will be the last one.
0: Mm. I like the fact that you pulled creator in. Um, usually people say creative. I've not had anybody say creator and all of the time I've done my podcasting. And I find that very interesting because, you know, one is more of a a noun. It's, it's there where it can also be used as a verb, but um, we share something and that's a, a spiritual belief. And I like that you use that word creator for for that reason yeah. too. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it because when you think of the world and everything in it, you have to be, and if you're uh, somebody that is a Christian, then you believe that all of this was created by A creator, and you are in his image. Yeah. So we'll throw that one out there. Okay. So those were really great five words, but where did you go to school? How did you get to where you are? And tell us why you're doing the entrepreneur stuff.
1: So I went to school uh, at Auburn University first, and that was electrical engineering. And that was back in the late 90s. And I also went to school to get an MBA. Uh, when my wife is in medical school at uh, the University of South Florida. So, mm-hmm. you know, go Tigers and, and go Bulls. And um, I also spent a year in film school up at FSU, actually. So mm. that was lots of fun. Um, didn't didn't complete it because we had our first kiddo, and I wanted to be more of a father than a film producer. But anyhow, so uh, my career started out at Auburn. Uh, then I came down here to Orlando and spent six years doing theme parks. So I worked for a company called Alcorn McBride. And, uh, you know, got to go on site, you know, Disney and Universal, et cetera, out in Las Vegas. And uh, spent six years doing that. When my wife got to medical school, we went to Tampa and started working remotely for an engineering organization out of Seattle doing consulting engineering. So I've always been like a software developer. I went more and more from hardware to software design over the years. And because I have the artistic background, I do a lot of user interface design work, mm-hmm. so sort of a UX kind of background. And um, spent six years doing that. As I mentioned, went to film school, and then I, I um, came to Orlando, started working for EA Sports, and that was my first uh, foray into game development. So we have a studio here called Tiburon, making Madden and um, NBA Live and uh, a bunch of other sports games, and uh, spent a few years there shipping games, which was a lot of fun, hard, hard industry to be in sometimes, mm-hmm. but uh, really creative, and 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 it was lots of fun. Then we founded Trobo. So Jeremy Scheinberg and I co-founded Trobo. Jeremy was an engineer that I worked with at Alcorn. And uh, we went to a starter studio, a startup weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. I had an idea for a completely different idea uh, app. And uh, Jeremy had this sort of a kernel of an idea for what he wanted to do with um, what became Trobo. And we just kind of ran into each other there. And uh, one thing led to another. We um, we ended up forming a little team around the, the, the concept that became Trobo. And uh, and we took second place. And so sort of that sort of started us out on the journey that was Trobo. It uh, was at a time in Orlando where the tech scene was really burgeoning in terms of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the exchange downtown had just installed the new uh, location there. Um, Orlando was getting a lot of uh, groundswell around uh, the tech scene. And even Buddy Dyer was awesome and supportive. And so this mm-hmm. whole community grew and just the, the story on Trobo was we had a sixty-five thousand dollar Kickstarter, so that launched us, and then uh, we got an NSF grant, and that funded us for a year. And a bunch of artists that were here actually in Orlando also got funded to help build the content that was for Trobo. And it was making little stories, interactive stories on an iPad, and so you could take your child on a journey. There's a little avatar and all this stuff. Anyhow, so Trobo lasted for about three years, but um, after Shark Tank, we could not get funding to get to the next level. So we got a handshake deal on Shark Tank, um, and that was great. But we couldn't we couldn't meet eye to eye with the shark, so it, that deal did fall through. Um, but after a year, we realized that there's a lot of money that you need to launch a toy and, and get it into mainstream, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, we were not willing to take that financial risk. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we let uh, Troubo die down for uh, on the third year. Uh, Jeremy went back to uh, Universal Studios, and he's there now, and um, doing quite well. And I went back to EA. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent a little more time at EA. Then I became the VP of Engineering for a Department of Defense company called DISTY here in town. Mm-hmm. So, I've heard of it. Yeah, they had just received VC funding. They were looking for someone who could bring enterprise experience in and, uh, and, and set DISTY up for growth. And so I, I came in and did that for a couple of years. And then Unity uh, wanted to establish a studio in Orlando. And so I and, and the chief revenue officer from DISTY actually founded the studio that is now Unity here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And we grew that. It's the uh, or, the government org, the government group. It's now around 50 people in Orlando mm-hmm. uh, that serves the you know the military simulation community that we have here, which is really a, a proliferant user of Unity's engine.
0: Yeah, I did not know all of that. That is so interesting.
1: It was lots of fun. It was actually, I was actually hired by the AI group because they they saw this whole government opportunity that wasn't being taken advantage of, and they wanted to see if the artificial tech that we had back then would be adoptable into the government market. And so um, uh, we spent you know we spent time building the the contracts and the and the services and putting some AI into the government group, and that was around um, two and a half years. And then I, I left that group and moved over to the uh, the games group, and I'm running the services group there now. So, wow, yeah. So that's my core career. I've always had a core yeah. career because it pays the bills and mm-hmm. it's fun. Um, and then on the side, uh, besides Trobo, I've done a, about seven different side businesses. I published a comic book when I was really young, so a, not a comic, but a, but a, a graphic novel called The Fro, and uh, it did okay in the market. It wasn't a slam dunk, but it was a good learning opportunity. And uh, and as you mentioned, I just published uh, Stanley and the Candy Keen Wormhole, so it is a children's book, and it is targeted towards the the Christmas market, and it's really trying to solve some problems in the in the Christmas market where uh, I don't necessarily think that the current Christmas uh, Santa folklore is very inclusive, and it's not really value driven as much as I'd like. So the book centers around a squirrel that discovers wormholes, and how he can use those to deliver gifts for Christmas. And Santa can't keep up with all the workload, so he wants the squirrel to help him out. But it has seven values in there for families. Uh, gratitude is one of them. Um, helping and and that kind of stuff. Being brave. And so um, the, he goes on this journey, and he learns how to make the wormhole stable so that he can deliver Christmas gifts year after year. And uh, there's a game called Find Stanley because the wormholes are not great, but when he goes to deliver your gift um he gets lost in your house. And so the kids go and try to find Stanley and it's a treasure hunt game and they practice values along the way. So they'll do they'll be they'll practice patience for 20 seconds they'll stand there and just be calm and patient before they go off to the next room to see what the next clue is to help find the gift that Santa that Stanley tried to deliver. I like that game. yeah, it's really cute. Uh, it gets four and a half stars. I had I, did, I actually the development cycle was, um two years of user trials mm-hmm. about a thousand dollars each christmas i invested in very close families a lot of shark tank families were a part of that a lot of uh star studio families and local orlando studios and and i uh basically have you know my community as you would imagine like you have your community. yeah and so we did it. i did uh, the first year um however many families it was i had a different game mechanic and it was wretchedly terrible mm-hmm. and so um I learned I can't, That game was just, even I didn't want to play it when we were doing it that Christmas. So I restarted the game design that summer. I did a game mechanic with the treasure hunt, was brilliant, applied that the second year. That was the the best part of the experience. And then that's what I launched with on Kickstarter, not this year, but last summer. Um, And it was a $10,000 Kickstarter, not huge, but it was enough to launch the book and the game and all that.
0: Do you think you need 10,000 to launch a book? I did a children's book, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, I'll just tell it to you, but I know the show's about you, but it's God is dog spelled backwards, and it's showing the attributes of of God, but we see it through a dog, and I back it up with Bible verses. I don't have an illustrator. It's charming. Thank you. Um, but I was going to do it just as a free download, an ebook, mm-hmm. and then I wasn't even go through any place, but just mm-hmm. promote it that way, and people could make a donation, and then the donation is going to go to help you know, children.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Let me know if I can read it. I'd love to get a copy just to read oh, it. Oh, yeah, I'll share it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I can if it's ready to buy, I'll buy it, you know.
0: It doesn't have the illustrations yet. Okay. So I, I'm looking for an illustrator that's a believer and, you know, that would I put it. it in there. And I went, oh, forget it. I'll just do AI art. And it was supposed to be dogs, yeah. you know, different kinds of dogs. So we would have diversity of dogs. And so we don't think of uh, God as always the same. Yeah. You know, he, he looks different for whatever may be what you look like.
1: Well, let me know offline. We could talk about it. Yeah, I'd we will. I'd love to see what you're doing with it. Um, okay. Quite, quite keen on the AI conversation as well. I've been investigated AI myself for my books. There's a real challenge, by the way, on that just segue, where um, if you have one central character, mm-hmm. it's hard to keep the consistency across the pages. But if you're doing a bunch of different characters, it should be relatively straightforward. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about?
0: So, Well, back to your book, though. Yes. And we were talking about getting your book out to the market and oh, you said Oh 10000 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because i <laughs> I tend to I tend to want to wrap a product around a story, not just a book, if I can do it. Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons. So no, you don't need a ten thousand dollar kickstart for a book. Okay. Usually two thousand bucks will get you there if you want to do a print run in China. Mm-hmm. If you want to just go through Kindle delivery, you know, Kindle has a, right. like a print to order there's nothing you got to do. You just got to pu- publish it out there and then use marketing dollars to get it out to everyone mm-hmm. to sell it to. So no, you don't have to. But when I added uh, the game mechanic, there was a game deck. It's 66 cards. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, and I also had to buy, um, there's also a food thing you do, a little candy kit that you put together for the kids to make a candy cane wormhole. Mm-hmm. And so all that tallied up to to about break even at $10,000. That's mm-hmm. what that was. This year I introduced, it a pl- introduced a plush to the game for the fine families. especially so actually find a little plush and that was about a four thousand dollar investment itself. Mm-hmm. So depending on what you add on to your book, you could start at the basics if you want to do a print run around two thousand and it can grow. but everything you add on is going to cost money. and that's right you think, okay, I can I can sell more books with a plush, yeah, but you got to sell the plush too. So it's just think of it in terms of what all do you have to sell at the end of the day and yeah, how to package bigger. it yeah, yeah. did you do a t-shirt with it too? A t-shirt would be great. I didn't. So we did Kickstarter T-shirts with Trobo. And mm-hmm. it's funny, one of the first pieces of advice that I got was from this guy who had been doing Kickstarter forever. He's like, don't make a T-shirt. No one wants your shirt. Don't do that. He said, don't add all these extra stuff on. Don't do that. It's just confusing. The consumer needs to come in and know exactly what they got to buy. Two three options tops. Mm-hmm. And we learned the hard way that all the extra noise just meant extra work and, 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 and shipping and stuff. And it really didn't add a whole lot of value. Mm. If, if you go down and what you... The difference between Trobo, we were launching Trobo. We did have to see market fit with Trobo. But mm-hmm. even with Stanley, it was, can I reach market fit with this Kickstarter? Which means all the extra stuff, I can't do. I need to know if people are going to buy it at that price and reach market fit. And that was, in a way, a test. Kickstarter is a great way to test whether or not you have real market fit. If you can get enough strangers to buy your stuff. Right. So all the extra stuff, it makes more work for you on the end. But it doesn't really confirm market fit like you can, you can if you just focus on your core product.
0: Oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. I don't think anybody explained it that way in any of my core. Well, in any of the accelerator courses. So thank you for that. Yeah, That's really good tip tips for sure. I don't know who that mentor was. I'm going to assume maybe it was somebody from Starter Studio. It wasn't.
1: It was an old friend from my high school. Oh, yeah. well,
0: you should give him a little shout out. <laughs>
1: I did. I was really grateful. He was, he was spot on.
0: So. Oh, very, very nice. Okay.
1: So... Let's
0: switch gears just a little bit. What hard lesson have you experienced that gave you a deeper understanding of what empathy is?
1: So, um, I grew up really poor. So, uh, you, know, you know, grew up in deep, deep, deep South Alabama. Uh, didn't have, uh, you know, parents didn't have a whole lot of money, and uh, that became a core goal for me growing up as to how how to build financial wealth. So. I'm doing that I'm financially independent things are going well and I'm you know, grateful to God and all the support he's given me and um but I know when I when I visit home and see friends and family I know when I speak with with uh, underserved communities you know, they don't have that information you mm-hmm. can't get that information unless you have a mentor who's proactively mm-hmm. teaching you or if your your parents happen to or your whoever's taking care of you happens to know finance personal finance and how to teach you that mm-hmm. so um I I my heart goes out to kiddos who don't have parents who can teach them that yet. And eventually I do want to publish a book. Uh, It's around a certain metaphor that I'm developing that will teach, honestly, poor kids how to build personal wealth and have Mm -hmm. that vocabulary and even awareness of it. So they can kind of get out of this, this sort of fishbowl that they're stuck in. Mm -hmm. And so I empathize a lot with families who don't have that information because you can't get it unless you are patient and you continue to learn over the years. But it takes a while to get there. It does, yeah. So um, that gives me some empathy. Also, I saw a lot of uh, drug use and 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 abuse of that kind of nature. And so when I, I see someone who's struggling with that, I recognize that you just it's not easy to get out of that too. And so that, you know, I, I feel I feel I know they have a tough journey, and I, and I feel bad for for folks who struggle with that. Um, whereas I think someone who's never had some of those backgrounds, it's just foreign and they can't relate to it.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that is very, very true. Um, They don't teach that as much in um, definitely in higher ed uh, where it used to be taught was something that was in school. I taught middle and high school, Mm -hmm. uh, English teacher, and I had a a course was through a, an in-service that a, a teachers always have to go to something in services where we get our CEUs. And this one was put on by the bank. So this could be an idea for you. Mm-hmm. The bank came in and they uh, prepared lesson plans and, gave us a challenge to see how we could provide economics into the classroom. So what I did is I created play money, looked like Monopoly, but it was, you know, Johnston money. Uh And I wanted to change their behaviors. And I was able to do that. So if they, and I taught in the projects. And so when I sat in, uh, they came in, they had to bring something with them to write with Mm -hmm. and some paper. That was hard. These were poor kids. They also had to be seated before the bell rang. And they were not allowed, it was middle school, to push and touch anybody around them because <laughs> they're, they just, I mean, those little bodies are going crazy. Yeah. So we were able to adapt. They adapted that very, to that very quickly. If, and I made mistakes on the board because I wanted them to be engaged. Yeah. And if they were actually paying attention to what I was writing or if I misspelled something or if I did anything incorrectly, they had to call me out respectfully, and I would change it. And so there was all of these challenges I gave them. They had a choice choice between things that were in a treasure chest, mm-hmm. and it was anything I could get for free. So it was travel posters, movie posters, the big cutout things. Yeah. Everything was in this room that I had. Um, And then there were smaller things. They could also buy passes if they saved up. They could get a pass to be first one in the lunch line, which was heavily coveted. Yeah, They could be the first one on the bus. They always got to leave five minutes before the end of the bell. So they were always one of these people. If they needed to just get out of the room, they could have a pass to do that as long as they didn't disturb people. So what came out of this whole experiment that I did is not only did it change behaviors, but it also got street value, the money, <laughs> they were buying yeah. it <laughs> and they were actually buying it. So if you're talking so you about doing this, yeah, great. so see, you could absolutely tie so many of your passions into this yeah. one concept of being able to help and get a bank to support you and bring that curriculum into the classroom and do it as a test, a study, mm-hmm. a built around it and see how it changes their lives. And it could be longitudinal type of a study mm-hmm. where you could see, you know, you're teaching them the values that, you know, you grew up with too and how what you've learned
1: It's really charming you know um i've seen maybe two comparable programs uh at unity last summer they had a guest lecture from this this company that was teaching college level Mm -hmm. and they also had you know elementary level courses and they just give us give us a snippet of what they're doing there's there actually is government money out there to Mm -hmm. teach financial education Mm -hmm. i don't know why it's not in schools My, my theory is that it's kind of like religion people have their own sort of approach they want to take and sure it's kind of you know taboo yeah. in a way um but i have seen the Dave Ramsey course i like that i did that too yeah yeah um my friend who has three children she she put her kids through that and i was like that's wonderful at least you know that's a it's 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 a good program to teach the ba- the values of what you need mm-hmm. to make your money um so i think there's some stuff out there it's just unfortunate that you know and God bless our, our education system there's only so much you can put into that bag right there's only so mm-hmm. much to cover but I I Finance, financial education has always been a huge gap. And mm-hmm. so um, I hope to one day do that, but I, I first have to be confident that what I'm going to teach will work. You know, yeah. Not in terms of the skills. I think the skills are all there. It's, it's, can I get the message across to the young enough audience so they have this language moving forward? And so my, my kids, like all entrepreneurs, they're sort of the guinea pigs right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Finley has had three summer businesses. Asher's had five, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they learn entrepreneurship. And I have some ideas for you based you got, on pre-show yeah. what you said. I went no, I have some ideas how you can get those kids back into it. I got to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say, we can I guess we can move on is is a joke around my house because every time they they get more Christmas money or whatever, uh, they're like, Dad, we're not investing it. So they already have this sort of chuckle around yeah. know, investing. But uh, my son does hold stock. He has Apple and Amazon stock, and the big very big,
0: nice Finley will too. So yeah, yeah. Well, they can always learn how to tithe of course but they could also learn how they could um uh, invest money but not for their personal benefit of how they can help the world
1: yeah 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 well and that's philanthropy right there's yeah. there's there's you got to get to a certain level of core to protect your ability to exist and survive and then you have the ability to give and 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 support others as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to be good friends <laughs> after
0: this show. All right. So we're going to do something here real quick. So I found this study, and it was all about power poses. And it's because I watched Grey's Anatomy, and they talked about a power pose. And it's like Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So you and I, we're going to stand up. We're going to stand up, put our fists on our hips and our legs are slightly apart and we're going to be looking like wonder women and supposedly it makes you feel more confident if you maintain it for five minutes now we're not doing five minutes we're just going to stand up and so for all of our listeners you got to go to our youtube channel to see us do this okay Okay. so let's go chris let's do it okay yes All right.
1: Okay. I like it. It was just 30 seconds, but it was fun. I feel empowered. I feel more closer to Wonder Woman.
0: Okay, good, good. Hopefully your kids will go back and watch the show too. <laughs> All right. So um, I don't know. I think it was really interesting. Um, there's actual research that does demonstrate that it does instill that. So maybe that's something else that we take to kids so that they can Maybe break that negative thought that they have inside of their head about whatever their their life situation might be.
1: I think it's I think it's quite valid. There's there's studies out there. Um, you know Malcolm Gladwell's Blink book mm-hmm. talks about affect and which is you know the body language of the face, right? And how right. you know micro expressions that come across your face. Great book, by the way, if you're interested in body language. Um, but so I'm a big believer that you know you should study body language as a if you're a manager or a leader and you're just trying to have a rapport with people. Uh, study affect um, and you can see so many things that are passing in meetings or when you're talking with someone you touch on a topic and you see a little something in body language that you probably need to dig into it might be a future rejection if you're trying to get something done in your group or it might be a concern that they have they're not willing to share with everybody Uh, so I try to teach body language understanding as to my managers as well and uh, or to people you know I work with a lot of engineers and a stereotype of an engineer is Mm -hmm. that socially we're not that great sometimes a little we're,
0: introverted yeah a little quiet
1: and it does manifest itself Sometimes i do have some engineers who i've spoke with about body language and i give them body language books and that kind of stuff so um, i the reason why i talk about body language as a tangent here is because i do believe that um it goes both ways yes so so it is
0: a form of communication yeah
1: absolutely yeah it emanates out from you it also can can transcend into you so if you're using your body language to pump yourself up uh, if of are using affect as well there are studies out there there's a new york times article that uh, is one of many that talks about if you have um if you use you know smile mm-hmm. right that makes you feel better mm-hmm. so um it goes both ways I, i'm a big believer in what the study says about you can you can use power poses to to bring yourself up in fact it, uh, when you're doing public speaking and you're learning about public speaking, that matters too. Mm-hmm. and how you can bring yourself into a stronger presentation if you're using good body language as well. Mm-hmm. One last thing I'll say on that is I, I do have an acting background mm-hmm. and, and film background. And so if you watch really good actors and actresses, they are skilled, obviously with body language, mm-hmm. but they're also quite skilled with their affect. And you'll see a micro expression go across their face. Mm-hmm. And you know that's to communicate to you that there's something going on deep inside their mind. Right, right. Yeah, right. You know, so they can control that Um, And so I study it a lot. So I I do think that in reverse, it helps, whether it's your face, whether it's your intonation, whether it's your body language, whatever it is.
0: I I like that you said that because I think of communication between people as four things, not the traditional things where we have listening, we have verbal skills, and we have, you know, written skills. I see communication as also visual. And so it's reading that body language. So you are totally supporting that. And what was the name of that book again by?
1: Oh, Blink. Yeah. Now, Link. Malcolm Gladwell, there's a study that he talks about in there. It's a delightful study where they break down the micro-expressions, you know, the little things that flash across your face, between uh, couples who are arguing and talking through something, and they make predictions on which ones will end up in divorce. Mm. And But it talks about micro-expressions, so if you never heard that term, Go read it. It's a delightful book. Go read it. It's a bestseller, but it will talk about microexpressions. It'll give you another dimension to look at when you're studying body. Mm,
0: I will. I will definitely do that one. And thanks. I've heard of this book before, but I haven't picked it up. I I have a gift certificate with uh, Amazon. It's going to be now one of the books that I go and pick. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So our last question before we take a break here, what do you want to be remembered for in life? You've done a lot and you're memorable now.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, number one, I want to be known as a good dad and husband. And uh, that sort of emotionally drives me. And it's been, I don't think I understood it until I had kids, but it's its the one core thing I've consistently done besides having an engineering career is, you know, everything that I do really revolves around how does it affect the family? Does it support the kids? Does it teach them what they need, et cetera? So mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of maybe standard stuff. Um, the one thing that I've always wanted to do is leave leave one thing behind that's bigger than myself and so um, i tend to believe that uh, a a good path towards that is creating a story or a lovable character that people identify with and remember mm-hmm. which is why i've done things like the fro and, and trobo and now stanley is because the the, the people that remember that we remember at least personally for me and you know my, my personal heroes are those who have created something that got bigger than themselves. They, on their own, they created this core character and this core story, but it's a lot bigger than they ever could imagine it have gotten. It's a bit like winning the lottery, but I hope that I can find one, at least one character and story that I can make bigger than myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's, that's really interesting. Okay. So we're going to take a moment and uh, hear more about Cat5 Studios, our company that produces our podcast and our game on Steam. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show. Chris Harden is our guest here, and we're going to be talking about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. Chris, what do you think 2030 is going to look like?
1: It's interesting, 2030 is only seven years away.
0: No, no, it's less than that. We don't count 2030, and we don't count this year. So we're looking at 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. So it's like five years.
1: Terrific. So um, I actually think it's going to be um, a lot of the stuff that we're excited about today and the top of the hype cycle around AI is going to be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. So uh, search engines will be a lot better. We won't have to rifle through the first type 10 or 15 items trying to find something. Uh you know, AI is going to be augmented. It. It's already working that way with Bing, and you know, Google now has introduced Gemini back in December. So um, I believe that we will have um some of the stuff that we're excited about now become in place. Computer vision is already really strong. That's really where I spend a lot of my time on the AI team. You know, your security systems looking at people's faces and figuring things out as a dangerous situation, etc. That's proliferating It's becoming getting more powerful. And some of the stuff around AI-driven automation will just be taken as a standard. And I believe the that's wonderful, which is great. That's what should happen. It should get through the trough on the hype cycle. We should be using it more. But I also believe, just like with other evolutionary steps like the internet and mobile phones, et cetera, that we will be expected to move faster as a result of having access to that the technologies like robotics. So what do you mean by
0: that when you say we will be expected to move faster? Do you mean physically move faster, mentally move faster, evolution of of just how we process information
1: and we learn faster? What do you mean by that? I think efficiency, (laughs) mainly efficiency. We will be expected to be more efficient with those tools. Mm -hmm. So like right now, and especially last year, early adopters of AI and the year before too, um, generative AI in particular since that's the Mm -hmm. buzzword, Uh, early adopters of that tech and I, I specifically books i can tell you um there are children's books out there and they used it for art and used it for writing those folks generated a bunch of books a bunch of content and you know they sold a lot of content really fast mm-hmm. and so they being early adopters took advantage and 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 were able to you know bring in extra income and that kind of stuff but that advantage gets eaten away as everyone else gets access to it as well right so but that advantage means that they're awesome today because they got the they got the the head they got they they got the early start but as we all catch up now we'll all expect we're all expected to operate at that same level of efficiency and that's true even like right now you and I are using the system here with uh, to capture all the video and all the content that was a lot harder 30 years ago It was a lot yeah. harder 20 years ago uh nowadays we can set this up pretty quickly and we have good quality. Maybe the quality is as good if you do something at home, but you can still quickly get a video conference, uh, a recording done, and a podcast out the door, and you don't have to have a whole lot of savvy and tech to do That it. is true. If you're maybe willing, again, to have a little bit less quality. There's a lot of work that goes in making quality sound, etc. Right. So we we know that that stuff exists. It, we are all expected to perform then with those tools as a standard tool, just like a cell phone. You know, mm-hmm. In the 80s and uh, 90s when cell phones were being adopted that really early adopters in sales they could have a car phone those huge car phones right right and they could make the sale a lot faster than someone who's having to work out of their office and get back to a phone attached to a wall mm-hmm. but now we all have a cell phone now you expect to call me and send me a photo like we're doing you expect it so now that's no longer an advantage it's just the norm that we should be performing it.
0: Mm-hmm. you know have you thought about this somebody mentioned it the other day have you seen a phone booth anywhere around i have not and they said they took a picture of it and put it out there because it's so—it's not that long ago that you know they were everywhere, and a, there was a phone like there is on on this show right now. We have a desk
1: phone, right? Yeah. But like we're not going to see
0: that probably even desk
1: phones. It's interesting. I did see a phone, booth coincidentally, and uh, my son he plays um, Fast and not Fast and Furious, one of the yeah. other ones, and there's a, a non-playable character in the game mm-hmm. in a phone booth. And I said, like, what is that guy doing? Is he in an ATM? And we drove the car a little closer to the phone book. I was just, it was delightful because I don't think our children even know what a phone book looks like. They don't.
0: They don't. It's so funny. So incredibly funny. Well, that's a lot of insight there. And I think that there, um, did you see, you seem like you're, you're engaged with these things too in that AI space, October 8th, that's my birthday. So it was easy to remember on 60 minutes. Um, Jeffrey, Hinton was the guest of uh, for 10, 15 minutes and talked about generative AI. He is the godfather of AI. He created it like 50 years ago or 60 years ago. You know, when all everybody was in the lab creating computers, IBM was there, everybody back in the 50s. -hmm. And he was talking about it. He said, I wish I had never created it because it has the potential of being able to um program itself Mm -hmm. and it can take humanity down and i feel like there's like that's possible i think that's totally possible because now the idea is out there and so anytime people science fiction is an indication as to what's going to happen into the world Mm -hmm. because we have these super high creative people right they go what if we did this and yes we're now we're in space so if he's saying that obviously it's
1: possible well, and there's two factions out there. There are there are a lot of um, leader thought leaders mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out how to uh, restrict AI mm-hmm. so that it does boundaries. Yeah, doesn't yeah. get out of hand. There's regulation, you know. Mm-hmm. There's and as you guys, you guys probably are aware, even just in defense of their own careers, writers and and, and actors did you know, strikes last year to protect themselves from AI generated content right. film. Right. Um, so there are leaders out there. There's a coalition who are trying to put governance around
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, GPTs and large language models in general uh, to be sure that it doesn't get out of hand. But, you know, there's also another faction that goes, look here, guys, it's not that awesome yet. And let's be realistic. The, there's an impact. If you look at the evolution of large language models this past year, mm-hmm. once, once GPT sort of kicked it off, um, you could make it say or do almost anything, including what people would consider to be dangerous or racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. and now there's all these um, um, basically wrappers that they put around and limits on all these models. It'll no longer teach you how to make a bomb for it as an example that comes up often in podcasts. Um, the same content is on the internet and you can find it if you want it. Sure. But these companies are afraid that if they don't start putting boundaries on AI, uh, it could get out of hand mm-hmm. or they could get sued perhaps. And what happens is though, I listened to a great podcast out of, uh, australia and these guys are engineers and they use all the different models and uh it dumbs down the model so it can't perform as well as it used
0: to oh that
1: yeah. interesting so there's a real side effect to trying to regulate it too soon mm-hmm. and uh and they see the impact on some models that were great like uh um uh, i can't think of the one that's coming to mind but anyhow uh, they they when they wrap all this protection around it, it can't perform as well. And usually the private companies are doing that, whereas the open source ones are, are less protected and you can do more with it. Mm-hmm. So I think there may be risk one day in AI taking over the world, but I don't see it anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I try to use um, Chat GPT a lot. My daughter and I, and I will lay in the bed and we'll make a story with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that it can really quickly create a story that mm-hmm. handles all the standard beats that you would have in a storytelling situation. Mm-hmm but it can't really create something new and different. It's really standard.
0: So I'm going to give you something to counter with your daughter. And then it's keeping that balance of what we're going to be talking about in a little bit is, okay, this is what chat does. Now, what can you do? that's different from this and have her manually write it out or type it in a keyboard. But there's way more involved when she's having to use, yeah. you know, cursive writing or print, which cursive is faster. I don't know why they don't teach it, but nonetheless, that way she'll be able to see that she's more creative than whatever comes out of any of this stuff.
1: Yeah. She's actually really creative too. Yeah. Um, I'll, one last note on that little bit about creativity. So AI is really good at optimizing things that we already do well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's trained on the data of the internet. So you can get it to paint a really gorgeous picture of whatever right. you talk about like my my typical example is a snowman. If I have it paint a snowman, if it's using just the it's called a diffusion model, stable diffusion or whatever, it can be absolutely gorgeous and brilliantly fast. But I will I do not expect AI anytime soon to make an Olaf. Because mm-hmm. Olaf is not your standard. It's really creative what they did to, to make Olaf. We can do that as humans. I have no idea that AI can ever do that right now. Mm-hmm. And so they can it can optimize what we do really fast, but it can't really create. Even mm-hmm. if it makes it beautiful, it's not really creating something new and different. And it it can't get there because it's just a statistics model. That's all it is. Yeah. So anyway, that's one one guy's opinion. But
0: wow, that was super insightful. I really, really appreciated all of that great information that you shared. Um, Well, we know that technology is advancing at the blink of an eye and it's delivered immediately and there is a false measurement of real knowledge and learning which results in the controversy around the decline of reading due to technological advances. Now, I did some research on this because we have technology and then we have the things that we hold called books, you know, because it engages more of our senses. And this particular quote that I just read all came from, uh, author, uh, Sorosi Mullen and she wrote is the rise in technology causing a decline in our reading habits. Now it came from medium on 2020, but there was this other study that was out here and they were still talking about, um, how reading actually holding the book, you know, the smell of the book and everything that you can actually experience through all of your senses is more beneficial than having to be exposed to all of these things that we have. Um, It talked about the benefits of adults. Reading aloud to children are incredibly high. Elizabeth Hubick wrote in her article, reading aloud to students should not get lost in the shift of science and reading. Um, and it came from Education Week, and then there was another quote that said, the single act of reading aloud to children can provide multiple benefits, perhaps most significantly. It can develop a lifelong interest in pleasure reading, according to multiple literacy experts and studies on the subject. Now, I know you're going to be having a lot of good information to share, but I can tell you, I would do this as, again, a public classroom teacher, and I taught 10th, 9th, 10th grade. Um, I had some 11th graders also at one time, and I would say last 10 minutes, everybody pack up your stuff. And I would read to them. And I literally saw these grown children. (laughs) They're, they're adults, they're young adults, but their heads on their desk and they would just sit and listen. And it was the perfect time to do any type of a room evaluation because teachers are always having to be evaluated if they're a good teacher And it was amazing to me because they would instantly go, oh, okay. And they would pack it all away because they enjoyed having somebody read to them. So your thoughts, what is it that you think? Because I know you have thoughts, which is why
1: you created Stanley and Trobo. Well, that's really charming. I have not heard of that being done in high school. Oh, no,
0: not many teachers did what I did. I did different stuff. (laughs) Yeah,
1: thank you. Um, yeah, I love reading to a kid. Our kids, you know, we we've always read to Asher and to Finley since as early as we possibly could. They have libraries, you know, in their own rooms, and we're currently reading Harry Potter number one Finley, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're big believers of reading to the kids every night. It's a great bonding opportunity. It's a special time with just mm-hmm. them. Uh, so we will continue to do that. But yeah, I I struggle a lot because you know I work in video games mm-hmm. and video games are often. Quite Everything true. you do is online, it's online in your work. And they're a distraction from life, in my opinion. So I have all my own personal issues there. But um, what I have seen is that the kids, whether it's their businesses, they're interested in doing their summer business, they're interested in going out and practicing sports, um, and not so much reading the physical books. They still read physical books. They, mm-hmm. they have the ones they love, and so they'll still read the physical books. Um, but I have found that the more screen time they get, the less engaged they are in anything outside mm-hmm. of whatever's on that screen, whether it's video games, right? If it's, if it's, um, honestly, if it's, if it's, you know, watching something like Paw Patrol. But even if they're reading a book on the device, I don't really like that as much as a physical book. Mm-hmm. If I can get it, there is a benefit. You don't have a billion books in your house, you know. Mm-hmm. My wife's a huge reader, and she used to have just stacks and stacks of all these books, and now she's just got her Kindle, you know. But Um, it can cause them to zone out and and not be aware of the world and how much time has passed. Mm -hmm. So we'll have days where we completely shut off all devices. They used to never have them, but as as good intention as we have as parents, we've slipped and we've slipped and I see it more and more where they'll get them more time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other game activities, family game night activities, other things just that we have in toys in the house are just less interesting to them than a device, regardless of what's on it, even if it's, you know, junky content where right. they're not wearing anything. Yeah. You know, and they're just anyway. So um I struggled with that a lot. In fact, um over this past winter break, I mean, I'm in front of a TV screen all day long because I'm on a computer software. Right. Guy. So I for two weeks I just kind of shut down all my devices and I didn't do any work on Stanley. Once once Christmas was done, I was done with Stanley. Um nothing at work. I was out for two weeks. And it was just all these activities I want to get done in the house and get things fixed. And it felt present. It felt in the moment. Right. Um, there's a, a, a spiritual teacher, Eckhart Tolle, and he talks about the power of now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of a long book, but the concept is if you can get all of the stuff that's going on in your mind quiet and you can just listen to your current moment, mm-hmm. it could help you to rid yourself of stresses and the kind of stuff that we have as people who are trying to reach to the next level of ourselves and all that. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far down that path. But going into Christmas or the winter holiday, um, I just said, okay, I'm not going to do any devices. I'm just going to focus on now. And whether it was yard work, fixing things in the house, fixing stuff in the car, whatever it was, it was really nice just to experience existing without knowing I've got a screen to look at for my next six hours because mm-hmm. I'm always in meetings and stuff. And I I realized while I was doing this, the kids were you know playing video games or they're watching a YouTube thing or whatever. And I'm like. So I'm really unsettled about how I see the encroachment on screen time mm-hmm. uh, coming into our lives, which is why with Stanley, there's no digital anything. And the game is a book and it's a physical interactive game where they run around the house and, and the, the the candy thing is they make things with their hands with candy. So I like that more and more where they're the center of the experience and it's not digital. If I mm-hmm. can help it, it'll, I don't know, it'll never be digital, but I do want it to be core, not digital.
0: I like that very, very much. Um, You said several things that I'm going to bounce back to you. So... If you're wanting the whole family to unplug, then everybody unplugs. And then maybe you go for a walk. You know, one of the things that I do is I go, well, I need to get my steps in. So I put my Nike app on, but I put it on total mute. I do not have music. I do not have anything. I use that as a gratitude walk and I go through. Okay, for three miles, five miles, I'm going to go through everything I have to be grateful for. And then I'm also like listening and observing and seeing things, even though... I put my headphones in because it's just me yeah. because I don't want anybody to bother me yeah. and because I walk around the lake at Lake Eola or wherever. So it makes a difference because it looks like I'm engaged, but I'm not. And I went, you know, people don't know how, and I'm sure you experience this, how to walk without a phone being the center at the dinner table out at dinner. You're even in a movie theater, you're watching a movie, but yet you have something going on with your phone and I think that if you make it <clears throat> a family thing mm-hmm. and say, okay, you know, once a week or twice a week or three times a week, whatever, that becomes this is what we do. The, the grid's gone down. We have to engage. We play board games. We go out and we go. Okay, what are you grateful for? And you do it for a mile. You might see something different, but you—it's going to be everybody doing it, and that those will become the memories that your children will cherish more than what they did on the screen.
1: I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I I tell my son all the time baby. No one, no one's going to remember what you did. And do you guys go camping? Camp. We don't camp, I'll admit. We've done a little bit of camping, but that's really not okay. my thing. Okay,
0: you can still <laughs> so. camp in your house is the point. You okay. can still do it in the backyard and go, okay, well, we're camping and we're not going, you know, you can use the bathrooms, but that's it. There's nothing else. Cook your food on the grill, everything. That's very charming. You yeah. could totally wrap it in aluminum foil and just do it that way. There's like so many things that you can do to unplug. And I think that's the the incentive I'm giving you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I like that you have all of these, these great things. There are pros and cons of doing this, of reading. Now you've covered most of them. Is there anything else that you want to add to it? Uh, no, I think we hit the beats. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our
1: listeners? I guess it comes from my own personal drive, but, um, you know, I I want to make sure that my kids have the financial tools they need to do well in life. Mm -hmm. So I suggest that anyone who's listening to, uh, if you don't have the benefit of someone who's taught you about building personal wealth, go and learn. There are books out there. Sometimes they're not cheap, but you can, you can get the basics in. And the goal is that you teach yourself personal financial wealth building so that you can teach your kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it's changed my world in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's a long journey. I I, sh- I look back and I know that I should have done more of my activities that I do now when I was younger, uh, but I didn't. And um, I in- encourage you to start soon and 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 learn it so that you can teach your kiddos.
0: Mm-hmm. That's solid advice. Solid. So our listeners, um, usually we supply your LinkedIn profile and your company, uh, LinkedIn, but we can take the uh, Unity off one and use your website for your book. I think we're going to do that too. Um, We're going to share your Mastering Commitment book that you have published also and um, the Stanley Candy Cane wormhole. Is there anything else that you'd like us to share with our listeners or just, you know, definitely give a shout out so our listeners know what I'm talking about?
1: Um, uh, I think those are fine. So chrisharden.com. And you can find my books on Amazon or if you want to go to you know findstanly.net or candy com. Those are all there.
0: Cool. Well, we will definitely do that. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest
1: on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, I think so. And I'm gonna remember our power pose. power pose. Yeah. Very good.
1: The intern whisperer is brought to you by Catfly Studios. Thank you to our video editor, Max Stein. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. You can support the Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app.